Today on the Cameron Journal Podcast, we're talking about abandoned railways and high-speed rail. That's right, we're continuing the transportation theme. We just had the interstate system, so now we're going to talk about the not-interstate system, what we should have built if we hadn't built interstates. So let's start thinking about some railroads, and here we go. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. And it's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. The federal government nationalized the passenger rail system in 1971 because air travel had supplanted passenger train travel as the main form of long-distance transportation, especially for business travelers. Tourists and people who couldn't afford to fly weren't keeping the service profitable, and rather than end all passenger rail service, the federal government created Amtrak. So as far as fast rail goes, Amtrak runs one corridor in the northeast called the Acela. It's not quite the European-style high-speed rail that you're thinking of, either. The top speed of the route is only 110 miles per hour, and only during certain sections. The rails are old, the tunnels are often from the 19th century and very narrow, and they, too, are falling apart. The Acela is an important link between Boston and Washington, D.C., and it is reliable commuting rail between the cities, but it is limited in its scope and its destinations, and is still a victim of frequent breakdowns and troubles with the line. Amtrak has struggled to make any money, run anywhere on time, and do much of anything. Under the Biden administration, things have finally begun to turn around, with some decent investments thanks to the infrastructure bill passed last year, which will open new rail corridors and update America's rail system. 
but it isn't enough. For the U.S. to have European-style rail, we would need to invest much more. On social media, maps of a high-speed rail system have spread around. I've posted about them in the past on both the Cameron Journal and on other publications. It's a nice idea, but it's very expensive. And there's the simple fact that air travel, especially coast-to-coast, is still faster. So, where is it that trains can truly excel? One of the struggles with rail service in the U.S. is the fact that our country is vast. Most people who haven't traveled throughout the U.S. extensively don't really understand how vast this country is or how far apart everything is. That's one of the challenges of mass transit within cities and certainly of a high-speed rail network. Out here in the West, we have sections where there's 120 miles of interstate with no services, no towns, no nothing. Just grass and deer and rocks and not much else. Denver to Ogden is six hours by car. I imagine it would be slower by train. And that's presuming you go up I-25 to I-80 in Wyoming and go across that way into Utah. If you tried a more direct route, you'd have to go through the mountains, and that has problems of its own, especially with the expense of the construction part and the environmental sensitivity that was even, you know, halted the interstate it being completed in Colorado until 1992. So there's all sorts of different challenges, but you even think from the West Coast, some routes make sense. Seattle to San Francisco, San Francisco to LA and San Diego, which California tried and failed to build. Those sorts of routes make sense, but it's a lot harder to sell people on L.A. to Denver, that's a much longer route. L.A. to Las Vegas makes sense. But even if you go from L.A. to Las Vegas to Albuquerque and then to Denver, you're looking at a a much longer route. and You're looking at much more time. And even at 200 miles an hour, the West is vast. And that creates a lot of distance between places. And that makes rail beating air travel extremely difficult. Then on top of that, back east, things are a little bit better. Um, A train from Atlanta to Jacksonville would only probably be about an hour and a half. There's already a train service going from Miami to Fort Lauderdale and is creeping up the coast towards Jacksonville. That makes a lot more sense. Rail service excels on routes that are, as one person put it, too long to drive and too short to fly. Now, there's a lot more of those there are in the east than the west. Um, Philadelphia to New York, for example, or Dallas to Houston, Um, even parts of the Midwest like Chicago to Milwaukee, Milwaukee to Minneapolis, Minneapolis to Chicago, Mm, Chicago to St. Louis, for example. Um, There are sections of the country where it is too long to drive, but too short to fly, and a rail service might do very well. That's really the sweet spot for rail in this country. And thanks to the Florida experiment, we're seeing how in the Fort Lauderdale to Miami route stretching up to Jacksonville, the too long to drive, too short to fly strategy might be just the perfect thing to get a rail system going in the U.S. China has the fastest and largest high-speed rail network in the world. The country has more than 19,000 miles of high-speed rail, the vast majority of which was built in the last decade. Japan's bullet trains can reach speeds of almost 200 miles per hour and date back to the 1960s. They've become a staple for domestic travel and have moved more than 9 billion people without a single passenger casualty. France began service of the high-speed TGV train in 1981, and the rest of Europe quickly followed. And high-speed rail is quickly expanding all over the world, in places like India, Saudi Arabia, Russia, Iran, and Morocco. And then there's the U.S. Dover to provide smooth, comfortable transportation 
by a diesel motor coach. General Motors, Firestone Tire, Standard Oil, and a few other companies that got together and they were able to buy up all the nation's streetcar systems and then quickly start phasing out service and literally dismantling all the systems over about a 10 year span. In the 1950s, an environmental good to switch from air traffic and car traffic to electrified high-speed rail. That's, that's a much lower emission way of, of traveling. When the high-speed rail between Madrid and Barcelona and Spain came into operation, I mean, air travel just plummeted between those cities and everyone switched over to high-speed rail, which was very convenient. One thing about getting rail going in the U.S. that is clear is that building a high-speed rail system would be no small undertaking. It would take the same vision as building the interstate system. It would take coordination across a variety of states to acquire land, upgrade existing rail, and possibly separate freight and passenger rail at certain points. There are some specific reasons why building a national high-speed rail system, or any mass transit project, is so expensive. The first one of these is land. Many people talk about how China has built 8,000 miles of high-speed rail in the past decade. That's great for them, but we can't just take people's land. Well, you can, but you have to pay for it. That's usually the biggest expense of any mass transit project. There's also environmental reviews, neighborhood hearings, design reviews, all this type of thing, and local politics oftentimes get involved in terms of what land is going to be bought up to put in the new train. Go to any public hearing about expanding your local mass transit system and you will hear every argument as to why it should not be expanded, it should be expanded, where it should go, why it can't go there, all this sort of thing. Now imagine that conversation at a national scale. The other reason why mass transit projects and a high-speed rail network would be expensive is that construction companies are doing everything including soaking the taxpayer. Building these rails is much more expensive in the U.S. than in Europe, and no one is quite sure other than just cushy construction contracts. However, there are some additional costs that we can't blame on construction companies. Regulations and dealing with local stakeholders oftentimes increase costs. Also, as a mature country, we have to get new lines through existing areas, and that requires buying up people, land, and it also can end up with a protracted legal process as people bring lawsuits to try to stop the project. All those things tack on additional expenses before a single shovel full of dirt is moved. Then you have to think about acquiring concrete, getting pylons done, planning production for all of that. The costs are endless, and this is why these projects always cost billions of dollars. The other thing that's also expensive is the equipment. Last of all, you have to buy the rolling stock, and none of it's made in the U.S. anymore. Most of it's either made in Europe or Asia, for obvious reasons. That means it has to be built, tested, and then shipped at great expense and transported, ironically by truck, to its final destination. That's expensive as well. And also, over time, those that rolling stock wears out, has to be replaced, all this type of thing. Then you also have to think about building the stations for it, making it accessible, all this type of thing. These things do add up. And that is one of the reasons why these projects are so expensive. However, despite that, we still need a national rail service, and I'll tell you why. All right, now every week we like to shine a light on what's happening on the interweb. And this week it was the hashtag high speed rail. It's been picking up speed. Now, why is that? Well, Vox had a story headlined, Gen Z's high-speed rail meme dream explained. Oh, thank goodness, it's been explained. Now, it included a 2013 map of the United States showing what a dream rail network might look like. 
bold colored lines that connect Los Angeles and New York, Minneapolis and Miami, and even Vancouver to the Tijuana route. Now, the Vox story with the map got a boost when Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg retweeted it saying, Gen Z is dreaming big. It's time we all did the same. To which, <laughs> to which Josh Barrow at Business Insider said, oh Jesus, not this stupid map. Oh, I feel the same way. And <laughs> Alfred Dwu, uh, now this guy is the one who designed the map. He says that this has come to be a litmus test on how you see high-speed rail as a transportation or political project. Expensive train in the middle of nowhere or an important part of mending urban, rural, and regional divides, he asks. Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts says, this doesn't have to be a dream. That high-speed rail is one of the smartest investments we can make right now. Coincidentally, he just reintroduced a bill to invest $205 billion over five years to create a nationwide high-speed rail network. Shoshana, are you excited for the Gen Z high-speed rail dream? Okay, so like one thing I liked on the map is that it would make it easier for me to get to Utah, and I'm very interested in any way that will make it easier. It goes direct to the mountains so that you yeah. can begin your hike right there. Yeah, I really like that. Beyond that, so not, I'm not a transportation policy nerd. I kind of feel like this might be a meme that's like going to become policy. Well, it is a meme. Like This has been going on for well over a decade. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of resent the idea that it's a, a Zoomer dream. Like millennials used yeah. to be on this too. And it, I think what Vox kind of rightly pointed out is it is a measurement of whether or not you have given up on dreaming big. Like you, you have the map and it's ridiculous. No one's ever going to build this. This is never going to happen. They can't connect California together by high-speed rail. We can't connect the Eastern Corridor by it. So I think it's just like, are you... A, a, a pragmatist and have you given up on the big dream or are you you know so I have <laughs> given up on the big dream but like I'm, I'm open to stuff like I'm open to ways that will get me to mountain goats faster or like some parts of it look kind of interesting I'm like I could I, I don't know it like took you from California to Florida like that I feel like there's better ways to do that well I like the idea of high-speed rail like I'm definitely sort of a closet libertarian yeah. uh, supporter of the idea that I would like to take the train everywhere but it's just not it's just not practical and and the left who want this thing built they're not even considering that it's their environmental review regulations yeah. like California's. It's going to make it impossible. You will never get an EPA clearance for some of the stuff that you need to do. I know. I'm like thinking, like, aren't there bison there? Like, won't this kill like a lot yes. of bison? Like, It'll it's fine. But, like, thousands of animals. And also, um, <laughs> eminent domain is like one real issue with it. Like, you would have to eminent domain like the hell out of so many things and places. I I think it goes through national parks. Like, looking at it, I'm pretty. I could totally be wrong. But I think it goes through national parks. Like, you can't do that. Again, like, the bison. We're going to kill the bison. Like, did, didn't we already have a problem with, like, almost not having bison at one point? Like, we should be chill. Well, I hope the hipsters are really okay with 200 bison dying yeah. for the making of the connection to L.A. and New York City. It's not sustainable. Deva. <laughs>
We're starting this one off depressing, right? If you live in an area marked off in blue, I can be almost certain that you've never taken a train nor have you considered one for transit. Never have you considered trains being useful for commuting into your local city, going out somewhere, or traveling inner city, which in such a car-dominated landscape makes sense for the most part, at least in your mind. But One of the chief reasons why we need a national rail service is environmental concerns. If we're serious about reducing car travel and emissions, then this is a big part of it. More people can be moved with the same kind of energy by, with a train than by car or by air. If we want to reduce emissions, a high-speed national rail network that would reduce both car trips and reduce air travel is vitally important. However, there's also upsides in addition to the, to the environmental and climate change concerns. Also expense. Flying has a lot of expenses. Airports are not cheap. The amount of people, ATC, baggage handlers, all this type of thing that are required to make airports work is all an expense. Air travel is usually not inexpensive unless you're flying the most low cost of airlines. Taking a train, especially something that would be part of a national system that does need to make a profit, would be cheaper and it would allow people to get around the country more easily. Also, there's a convenience factor. Getting on a train rather than taking a plane is just more convenient. No waiting in security lines, no paying to check your bags, none of that stuff. You buy your ticket, you go through a turnstile, you put your luggage in the baggage car, you take your seat with the conductor, and you're on your way. In Spain and in Italy and even in India, trains have done an excellent job of killing off whole airlines because they're faster and more convenient. Amtrak could also do really well by expanding its auto train service. On the East Coast, you can take your car with you on the train to Florida. The snowbirds from New York State use it all the time. This could be a great idea to get people off the interstate and onto trains without having to worry about transportation on the other end. Europe has the same thing with the channel. You can drive your car onto the train and then drive your car off in Britain or France, depending on which direction you're going. Trains also have the advantage of, an, of avoiding all that nickel and diming the airlines do. And, as I said before, the most important thing is it could fill in routes that airlines know they can't fly profitably regionally to major airports, and it would solve two problems at the same time. A good high-speed rail system also would need to connect with local transit systems so that people could transfer from intercity rail to local commuter rail and transit systems or use the auto rail system. These are all things that we need to do, but this are, these are all great reasons not against a national rail system, but why we need to have one. I was recently planning a trip um, on the East Coast, and I was going to uh, fly to Washington, D.C., see some friends in the Washington, D.C. area, and then I was gonna, needed to go to Atlanta and New Orleans and then back to Seattle. And I was looking at driving from Washington to Atlanta, and I'm kind of like, oh, it would take a whole day to do it and maybe two and it would be inconvenient and renting a car and blah 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 and and my dad was like well you could fly from Washington to Atlanta and I'm kind of like yeah I said this is a moment when having a train would be great and he's kind of like yeah I could see that and I was also looking at like Atlanta to New Orleans like I wanted to stop and see my father in Alabama and then go to New Orleans to see my friend for his birthday and it was like oh well, I fly to Atlanta I rent a car I go to Alabama I go to New Orleans then drive all the way back to Atlanta because because the cost of dropping off your car at a different airport from where you got it from is way too high. Drive back to Atlanta and then fly home. 
what an opportunity for a train. I need a train from Atlanta to New Orleans. It would just solve a myriad of problems. I don't mind renting a car in New Orleans. I even don't rent, mind renting a car in Tuscaloosa, but a train, a train would solve that regional transportation issue in a way that driving is just too inconvenient to create. And this is why we need a national rail system. Even in complement with flying, it would make getting around regions of the country so much easier. Compare that with decent mass transit systems in cities, and it would actually be sustainable to live a more car-free lifestyle in this country if you so choose. It would allow people to be more mobile. It would improve the economy because if people were able to spend less money on flying and bag checks and all this type of thing, they could actually spend more money, one, going places more often, and two, actually enjoy things while they're there. There are many benefits to a national rail system, not just the environmental concerns, the reduction in pollution, getting cars off the roadway, which has public health benefits and all this type of thing. But in terms of just the general lifestyle of Americans, it's a huge improvement over other forms of transportation. And I think oftentimes, because we don't talk about trains in this country the way they do in other parts of the world and people don't necessarily understand them because they don't use them i was watching a video recently that talked about that that that's it's hard for people to understand what a lifestyle with a high-speed rail system would be like when we already have planes so the next time you see a meme or a map on social media talking about why we need a high-speed rail system Make sure to send people this episode because there's a lot of advantages to a high-speed rail system. And remember my story from the beginning where I talked about going from Denver to Seattle and how the train was old, slow, broke down, and I was left in the desert with no air conditioning, starving, hungry, with no water? Imagine that trip with a high-speed rail system that, you know, took me to San Jose and San Francisco instead of downtown Sacramento as a stop. Um, imagine it when it was fast and efficient, so it wouldn't take me a day and a half to do something I can drive in two days. Um, imagine something that was pleasant and luxurious, had great food and was able to get me back and forth in less than 24 hours. That's a future that we can have. That's what a national high-speed rail system would do if we choose that future. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.